0: Second down and eight from the 42. Long count. Green quick handoff to Gentry. Went right, cut back to the left. Middle of the field to the 50, to the 40. Gentry sheds tacklers to the 30, to the 20. High steps into the end zone. And the Broncos take the lead. Back from the bye and better than ever. It was nice to rest up. How much did players appreciate just a little bit of downtime? How much did just even one day off mean to you when you were playing in college football during the bye week
1: it was the best it was like when you go to school as a kid and you know you're going on a field trip (laughs) (laughs) no work you just get to go and relax you know stay in uh obviously in college football it's more of a mental day but Mm -hmm. yeah not having to do the physical aspect of it it's a great week
0: this is jay sports bar i'm jay tuss he's shane williams rhodes the Boy state football team Undefeated against Dubai, and uh, maybe this one better than ever, though, because they're able to get a little healthier. They're able to maybe get their minds right. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, after that epic loss at Colorado State, I think, you know, tempers have simmered. Uh, throughout Bronco Nation, and and now we get to see if, if Boise State can truly use this downtime and bounce back against a Wyoming team that is also competing you know, for a Mountain West Conference championship this year. The Cowboys have easily ex- exceeded expectations, picked in the lower half of the preseason poll, and right now they sit in the upper half of the conference. Their wins are impressive, their losses are, are even impressive, Shane, but when a coach approaches the bye week with you guys, especially maybe coming off a loss, what what is the message? Because we see that you guys still practice, you guys are still in the facility. What is a bye week like? Those couple days that that you do get
1: off. I mean, like we talked about last show, when you come off of a loss and you go into it, they kind of suck. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I I would think that the whole focus has been, you know, with where this team is, is that the the we hear it a lot and we always say it, but it's like the one and no thing is serious now. It's like every week they just have to go one and no because. They need to win out in order to, you know, host the championship or even make it. So it's it's one of those things where they got to focus on what's right in front of them. Mm-hmm. They can't look forward because obviously, as we saw in Colorado State, it's very easy to look forward to some things right. when you get in certain positions. So they're going to probably be harping on that all week. It's just want to know we do everything we have to do to win this game, and then we move on to the next game.
0: When it comes to, you know, where we're at at this point in time in the season – Sure, we're seven games in, following the bye week, eight weeks in, but there's also, you know, what five weeks of fall camp. You guys have been grinding through leading up to all this. You you get the little break right before you know fall camp kicks off. You mentioned being one and zero. We've heard one and zero. We've heard the standard. There are there are so many key phrases that we hear to define this team or or goals or expectations. Do those still hit with players this at this point in time in the season, or, um, or, did, or does it get tired of hearing them? I
1: feel like where they are and needs to hit, and you need to understand because, <laughs> obviously, when we were young, we, when you first get in, you don't really understand. You know, it's you know it's what they tell us to say. It's what the theme is, and what we say, but mm-hmm. you don't really get it until, you know, you've played and you understand, like, uh, you, any team can beat you. And with us having such a young team, I think you say we have the fourth youngest team in the country.
0: Fourth youngest team in the country, according to Boise State's game notes. Andy Avalos talked about it. Spencer Danielson <laughs> talked about it um, a number of times. Uh, they We got the whole uh, no excuses. But, oh, mm-hmm. by the way... We are a very young team, and this stat
1: proves it. It's so easy, especially as a young player. You have all these young players. And like I said, even for me, you know, didn't really take that seriously. So, you know, you go in there and you take some losses. You go 8-5 and five one year, and uh, all right, now it's time to grow up. You know, everybody can beat everybody. You get beat mm-hmm. on the blue against New Mexico, it kind of changes your perspective on things. So you got to kind of get hit in the mouth a little bit, and then you start believing in some of those things that are getting told to you yeah. every day throughout the week.
0: We're going to hear from Bush Hamden, Andy Avalos. Um, We're going to talk about the two QB system again because it is a a subject that everybody has an opinion on. It's so weird, Shane, because I don't think that I've ever been in a situation covering the Boise State football team where the fan base is so convinced of one way, yet internally in the Boise State football facility, they are so convinced that using two QBs right now is their path forward, is their path to success. Um, we're also going to you know, talk about the return of potentially a couple key contributors on this team, DJ Schramm and George Halani. But first off, you know, we always talk about or we always hear Andy Avalos talk about the brotherhood, right? And you, my friend, uh, you, you are a part of the brotherhood. We know you're the ride or die type of human being because you still got your Astros stuff on and they were just eliminated. Um, I know that tough times aren't going to break you when it comes to your alma mater. But what what are your what are the, the alumni saying? Like when you get together with all these guys of the past that you know played in Fiesta Bowls and won Fiesta Bowls and constantly achieved ten win seasons and there used to be that stat out there that forever every senior class that rolled through here had a bowl ring and won forty games. Right now that's not attainable. But when you and your you know the alumni get together, like what how do you guys feel about this? What do you talk about? What is the biggest concern or the, the thing that gives you hope?
1: Well, outside of the fact that I do associate myself with a few vandals, and I'm ashamed to say that, <laughs> um, outside of them giving me such a hard time because, you know, they're having such a great season right now, uh, it's it's really, I think, emotions are all over the place right mm-hmm. now. You know, I see certain guys, and they're like, you know, we got to get this ship right because it's not going good right now. Then you have other guys who are like, the players, you know, putting it on the players, you know, can the You know, they basically put it in predicament as, uh, you know, we were in the same boat at one time and, you know, we did what we had to do to get out of it. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, so everyone's emotions are just all over the place. It's not typically what you see. Typically, you know, as ex players, you get what's going on. You understand what's right and what's wrong. But when there's just so many different, you know, we we talk about this every week, those uncontrolled variables. Mm -hmm. and There's just so much going on it's hard to, you know, pinpoint what the problem is, you know. Is it, you know, giving up 21 points in four minutes? Is it running a two-quarterback system? Is it playing to your running quarterback's strengths? Is it all these things? Is it not giving the ball to the best player on either team, Mm -hmm. you know? a certain amount of times there's just so many uncontrolled variables that everyone has a different reason on why things are not going the way it should
0: uncontrolled variables uh as we approach the eighth game of the season coming out of the bye week andy avalos not necessarily in the context of asking about uncontrolled variables but asking him about how well he knows his team and he appears to be confident with everything that he, he knows at this point, take a listen. We've played seven games, we all know what it's been. It's about how we move forward now
2: and how we attack every single opportunity we have. We're not the same freshmen, we're not the same sophomores, we're not the same seniors that we started the season as, we're not the same coaches, we understand. We know exactly who our team is, we know exactly what we need to do and again, It is the Mountain West is not easy week in and week out. You face a bunch of different schemes, but we have the opportunity to compete. The goal is still right in front of us to compete for a uh, Mountain West Conference championship. And as we all know, as you go down the stretch, it is like the playoffs. I mean, each and every week you get a matchup and a lot of these teams are sitting, you know, in position uh, to play for the conference.
0: I mean, I think that's encouraging to hear Andy Avalos say like, hey, man, he, he knows he feels like he knows his team now. I don't know if anybody ever wants it to take to the eighth game of the season to figure it out, but as you said, like so far there have been those uncontrolled variables. The youth has played into it. He's had to figure out a way to put guys in a in a position to succeed, and yeah, it's just taking a little bit longer than anybody would have wanted it this year. But if, if you if you hear Coach Avalos right there, he seems very adamant that he that he's got this figured out. I also don't know what other what
1: else he would say at this point in time. the, the only reason I could. I kind of get it is because, you know, they all, you always hear people say you learn more in the losses than you do in the wins. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just more because when you lose, you're more open-minded to correcting things than when you win and still find a way to win. Okay, well, that thing that I did wrong, you know, back in the second quarter or the, all these things, you know, it's kind of like, oh, we could just sweep them under the rug because we found a way to win. So I could see that, and that, that has to be where he's coming from with this.
0: I mean, we'll see if it works. We'll know. We'll know Saturday, right? Boise State, I think that we could uh, classify them as a team that hasn't been, you know, very disciplined this year. And I, I, I just mean like we've heard eye control, um, you know, doing your, your 111th. We, we've heard this stuff. This stuff has been brought up a number of times throughout the entire course of the season. And if what Andy Avalos says, you know, holds water, then I think we see a big step forward. And, you know, maybe we we're we're getting distracted by some of the results that we have seen a little bit of that on defense. There was an 80, 85 minutes and 59 second stretch where they only allowed 10 points, uh, you know, the second half of the uh, San Jose State game through the most of the Colorado State game. And then it it yeah. went haywire on them and they they showed their youth coaches don't get a pass and I, and I don't I don't want to like just gloss over that and say just to to move into this next part of it but I do want to ask you about player accountability because at some point in time like the coaches can can preach it you know until the cows come home and it seems like that's been the case maybe they need to change the way they teach or deliver the message or whatever it is but I also think there are things that we see out there that like man there does need to be some player accountability here. Like the the simplest play I can give is the play that beat them at Colorado state, the hail Mary that should literally never happen. If everybody just does their job. And most of them do Jalen Clark goes up, bats the ball down. It, it looks like he does his job. He's not trying to tip it up or get it, get an interception. He just happens to bat it right to a guy. That's the trailer because another guy coming in didn't do his job. So there is some player accountability there.
1: Yep. No, oh, yeah, I totally agree. There's, you know, it's just, it's like, once again, <laughs> I hate to go back to it. These uncontrolled things, the variables, you know, once again, is, so, you know, your, your leader and the person that I would think that holds the defense accountable is DJ Schramm. Mm-hmm. He's not on the field. He hasn't been on the field for a few games now. Uh, it's kind of hard when the guy that's going to speak up, speak out, you know, and hold you to that standard isn't on the field. So, DJ's been on the sidelines. What is the difference between
0: having your star on the sidelines? And you can see him coaching up guys mm-hmm. and, like, in helping them out. But what is the difference between having him there and not in your heart, the heart of your defense on the field in the heat of the
1: battle? So, well, obviously, I guess we got to go to the the first point of a lot of times that guy is making everyone else right by mm-hmm. just doing his job and then also doing extra on top of doing his job. Not just not doing his job and just making a play, but – He's doing extra, which is allowing them to make more plays. So he saves a lot, which is why he typically has a ton of tackles. Mm -hmm. Then you have the aspect of on the sideline, I'm going to be honest, the only person you can probably talk to from the sideline onto the field is the corner that's right next to you. Right. No one else can hear you as loud as that stadium gets with everything that's going on, with where your mental is as far as trying to pay attention to formation that's coming at you, what's getting lined up, the adjustments, the shifts, the motions. You know, so having someone like that in the middle of the defense who is talking, saying, okay, you know, we're going from strong left to strong right, we got motion, we got a shift, we got this formation at us, we got an automatic check when this formation comes at us. With all these things that have to be said and done, you know, from when the play clock gets to, let's say, 20 to five seconds Mm -hmm. because, you know, they typically get lined up around 15 to 20, but then they're going to do shifts and motions. So now we got to switch, we got to – we have automatic checks in certain formations, We have checks and motions. Like all those things that happen, someone has to lead the defense and Mm -hmm. let them know what's going on. Because if you have, you know, two freshman corners or two sophomore corners out there and, you know, they're not getting the checks, they're still running the same play they did when they first came out there. They're not adjusting to the shifts, they're not adjusting to the motions. Alignments change, everything changes like between those 15 seconds and that, that's the mental side and not having him on the field to kind of navigate what's going on it's like having a coach on the field
0: so when you guys went to the fiesta bowl in 2014 it's i think like the answer is pretty obvious on offense because it's probably usually the quarterback but it maybe it differs if, it, if there is a guy you can definitely bring him up on defense who was that that glue piece that like the moment he wasn't out there you're like okay it's noticeable they're not playing
1: as fast i'd probably say darian thompson was one of those guys think about that defense on that team is it wasn't—we didn't just have Darren who was, like, a three-year starter. You know, you had Dante Dion. Right. You had, you, you had so many guys. You had Tanner Vallejo, Ben Weaver. You had Armand Nance on the line. So that's a guy who played for four years, never redshirted. And the backers, you had Ben and Tanner, who mm-hmm. both played for a really long time and started for a long time. So you had multiple guys who knew what was going on. And if you had a young guy like Layton Van Der Esch, who was on the team, uh, you can you can uh, you can adjust these guys, right? And then in the back end, you had Darren and you had Dante. So— mm-hmm. You had a safety who could talk to the other safety, who could talk to the corners. And you also had a corner who a lot of the times, you know, back in that day we could just say, all right, let's just put Dante over here on freaking Devontae Adams and we'll get the rest taken care of on the other side. You had so much – of that leadership and so much of so many of those guys who can hold everyone accountable and help them on the field, mm-hmm. we don't have any of that right now.
0: It was so much easier for that team to just they knew their strengths, they played to their strengths. Dante can take him, Kamalay Correa is going to mm-hmm. rush the passer, and then we'll figure out kind of the rest whenever we yeah. need to. Um, you brought him up. Why was Dante, well, actually, Dante or Darian, why were they so good at creating turnovers? I mean, that, that is. Since I've been here, those guys are are the pinnacle when it, when it comes to creating turnovers. And you look at this defense right now, man, do they have a tough time, you know, getting some momentum on defense because they just they don't get those big game changing plays. They really struggle to pressure the quarterback. They they just. They don't force a ton of fumbles. They obviously don't force a ton of interceptions. I mean, they only have a few this season, and really the only one that I'd be like, man, that was a play, was the one that Amarion McCoy made to help close out the, the San Jose State game. The ones against UCF, you know, I don't, I don't want to take yeah. anything away from the play that uh, Rodney Robinson and, and Alexander Tubner made, but certainly Jalen Clark's interception, great on you for catching the ball. Uh, But that was thrown to him by the receiver. Not the quarterback, by the actual receiver. Like, here you go, buddy. Make this play. So why were those guys so good? Will we ever see that level again in in the blue and orange?
1: Well, I'll answer the second question first. It's possible. (laughs) It's possible that we'll see it again. But to answer the first question, it's because you hear it all the time, the student of the game side of it. Mm -hmm. Like when I say you can just line up on the field if you're a receiver and Dante – can tell you what route you're going to run. He'll say, you got four routes you're going to run from this alignment. you know. And then if you take three steps vertical, I know now two routes are out. And so now I know it's only two more routes you can run Mm -hmm. based off of your alignment from what I watched on film and from what you can do based on the space on the field. So, and being a receiver, it obviously is a little easier for us because we are aligning certain ways so we can run certain routes. So I get what he's saying, Mm -hmm. but you don't get a lot of DBs who understand that If this guy is lined up all the way four yards outside the numbers, he's probably not doing an outbreaking route because the sideline's two yards from where he is. So I probably could cheat this way and anticipate a little bit more this way because even if he does decide to do a slant and go from that position, as long as when I open my hips back up, I'm trying to cut him off to the sideline. I have the sideline who's another defender Mm -hmm. to where I can cut him off. So I can cheat more, which will put him in position to steal a lot of plays. And both of those guys did that really well. And so, like, even Darian, like, he was – Darian got a lot of picks, but he probably wasn't the best coverage safety I've seen when I was at Boise State. But his deal was he was smart. He knew exactly where the ball was going to go. He knew where he was supposed to be, so he knew how much wiggle room he had, you know, to creep over into other zones because he can still do his job and still, you know, go over there and take that risk. And so – it, it's a lot of the student of the game thing comes in with that.
0: There are rules out there about how many hours you can demand of your players to be inside that Boise State football facility. I think
1: it's 20. I can't remember
0: what week to week what it is, but that also includes your practice time. So mm-hmm. once you're done practicing, all of a sudden there's only like a, actually really only a few hours in a week where the coaches can, can require you to watch film or, or whatever, lift weights, whatever it is that fills in that extra gap. So if you're a player – and you want to, and you want to play this game at a high level, hey. If anybody's seen the can or the um, Johnny Manziel documentary on Netflix, we know that there are special humans that yeah. truly can get off the bus. Hung over in most cases for johnny and win a heisman trophy that that's the exception to the rule though so if, if you want to play this game at a high level if you want to be one of the greats at boise state and achieve all conference honors and be the anchor of a defense or an offense that can contend and lead lead this team back to you know a fiesta ball type game like how much more
1: do you have to put in like in and does it vary based off position for that matter, too? Uh, there's only so much the coaches can do for you. You have to be able and be willing to do it. Obviously, I think for Dante, the biggest thing was, you know, it was the size thing, right? So mm-hmm. if he knew he was always going to be smaller, he had to have some edge. And that was his edge was being smarter than you football-wise. He knew exactly what to do and where he was supposed to be. But I feel like my advice to anybody, period, playing football, you know, high school and college, uh, if you would, like, to actually understand and be become a better football player, you know, and as far as the intelligent sides of it goes, I'd say learn the position of the opposition. So if you play DB, learn receiver. Learn all the routes and because when you know what the receivers are trying to do, then it makes it easier for you to defend mm-hmm. it. And the same thing at, at a receiver, if you understand what DBs are trying to do and what they're trying to take away in certain coverages and when they're playing soft, okay. when they're playing press – you know what it takes to threaten them and get them to go where they're supposed to be it'll help you get open to where you are supposed to be okay so in the context
0: of this football team which we talk about young it seems like you're talking about three and four hundred level courses right now right (laughs) i mean would you right i mean i mean how how many how many freshmen and sophomores can actually enter that mode when did shane williams rhodes enter that mode
1: well here here's the deal it wasn't so much of me saying, okay, I want to learn how to play DB. It just so happened the the group that I, I had with me, you know, it's me, it's Chaz, it's Chance, it's Dante, it's these guys. Uh, I was the only receiver yeah. our freshman year. Chance, Chaz, and Dante were all Because Chaz was a DB and he came, yeah, became right? a wide receiver. So when we would do PRPs with the older guys, we always would come back to the dorms and then we'd talk about it. And he'd say, well... What they asked like, what route combination did you guys do? And I tell them, and then so now they're like, oh well, if we would have just did it this way, we can take away both of these. So that's back in right? the dorms. Practices so over as freshmen, like we, because I guess two of us played, and then the other two end up starting the next year. So mm. we played a lot of us played early, and so it was one of those things. And like Dante would ask me, and I asked him, like, I'm like, were you? I'm like, why are you? I'm like, why did you just cheat the route? Why did you just run there? He's like. Because what I'm in is I'm in this zone, so I got the freedom to do this, but as long as I get to my spot, I'm fine. And he said, so I knew where you were going to go based off your alignment. You're lined up so tight, so there's no way for you to go unless you go across the field. So I knew if I just go to where you're supposed to go, I'm good. So just talking, so you don't even necessarily have to be necessarily going, like you said, into the textbook, but it's literally talking to the guys you're going through all this with, like. DBs and receivers talking to. I guess I had the advantage because I had only basically hung out with a lot of DBs. Right. but that's how it worked. It was us talking back and forth about it.
0: But what is the genesis of that conversation? Like, I, I mean, I'm just going to pick on you because I, I'm closest with you and Dante Dion is, you know, went on and he's, he's I mean, he's hilarious, but... Um, I mean, are you are you playing video games? And all of a sudden, Dante's like, you, you know what I mean? Like, well, we, who, who's the guy that's like, no, let's actually talk about this instead of, you know, being college kids?
1: Well, if you don't know, we are very, very, very competitive people. Yep, I get it. Who, uh, but that's what I mean. Play so, sports. So it's more of like, more of us, you know, saying, hey, you know, I caught that ball on the day type thing, like picking at each other. Gotcha. And then we're like trying to dive into how it happened and, well, why did you run this? Because there's times where Dante will literally be on the field. hmm and he say, Hey, I know you just ran the wrong route. There's no way you have that route Because con- he knows the concepts. Like it's literally being like understanding what's coming at you, not just knowing, okay, I'm guarding I'm a man, I'm guarding this guy. Because if you're a man, you're guarding this guy. But if you know what this guy has, it helps you tell you what this guy has, because mm-hmm. they can't run the same route. So just those kind of things, understanding the concepts and it's yeah. Being I really competitive all the time with each other is kinda the origin of it. I
0: know that this is a lot of football jargon folks, but like I just I think it, it I think it's worth, you know, these stories so you can understand what these current young players are going through and justify when they say hey, fourth youngest team in terms of personnel we've played in the country like you can kind of see yeah. you know maybe why that actually makes a difference. You said competitive. Yeah. yeah. Um you know, I I don't sometimes I think competitive can be uh, the reaction you have towards it can be a little cliche. Do you have to, you know, flip a table over? Do you have to yell at somebody? But I, but also sometimes I think that's necessary, man. Like I, I do. And when you are, when you are in the locker room and when you are with your brothers, there there are times where if you have watched the. The Florida, um, what, Swamp Gators or Swamp Kings um, documentary. Like, they had a guy named Brandon Seiler that was mm-hmm. the ultimate accountability yeah. booster. Man, that guy was. Did you watch? Have you seen oh, that? Yeah. Uh, to the point where I got to leave out a lot of F bombs uh, with this story, but to the point where there was a guy slacking off in condition, basically, and he told him if he did it again, he was going to punch him in the face. And the guy did it again and got punched in the face. So, I'm not saying that anybody needs to get punched in the face over at Boise State. But, like, for you guys, who was that guy that when things went south was like, no? Because it, it, at times it's got to be a player, too. It can't always just be coaches yelling at you. It's got to be a player that steps into that role. Who was that player that said, that, that, that made everybody go, oh, damn, we better
1: straighten up? Uh, my freshman year as – you know, me being an 18-year-old kid playing. Uh, as a guy I knew I would never, if he told me to do something, I'm going to do it. It's Dan Paul. That was our guy. Uh, Dan Paul? Yes. You got a chance to play with Dan Paul? Dan Paul. Okay. Yep. So, you know, obviously, you, know, you knew Dan. So, mm-hmm. big guy, always doing the right thing, leader, you know, it's really easy to follow guys like that. And so, Dan was that guy. I mean, he's the freaking fullback. He's yep. the guy that puts his face in someone's chest every play
0: there's a there's a reason why they call the the hammer the dan paul hammer and we lost dan way too early in his life tragically but his spirit obviously lives on with the dan paul hammer his name's on it and maybe that's a i don't know i don't know how to make that sink in a little bit more for the guys that do get Mm -hmm. to carry that thing out on the field And maybe that's why so many freshmen have done it this year just trying to tell them that story and show them the, the meaning and the impact of of his name on that hammer um, Dan Paul man I don't know who that is this year and and, and on, on honestly there's so there's many times where that is confined to the locker room and so I'm not even trying to maybe it is happening but how necessary is it to have that when you're going through times like this and, and is it words is it leading by example is it striking the fear into the heart of guys that um, don't understand
1: what what needs to be done you know I think it's a little bit of all of it you mm-hmm. know obviously you want to see it led by example because that's where the young guys lean, you know, because when there's no plays being had, those guys who only play like 10, 12 plays a game, they're like, well, we need this guy to step up and make the play, you know? So you need that. And then obviously coaches obviously love to always see it. You want someone to be vocal. Someone has to lead. The coaches can't be on the field, which is why they always stress, you know, someone has to be a vocal leader because there has to be technically a coach on the field to lead the team. You know, you got to have somebody out there.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I said uh, we'd hear from some of Boise State's assistant coaches. I think now's a good time to hear from Spencer Danielson because we asked him about the youth of his defense in terms of trying to put guys in position to succeed and maybe the challenges this year with the youth versus years past where, well, the Broncos had a little bit more experience and uh, more controlled variables, as Shane Williams-Rhodes would put it. Take a listen.
3: Just looking at our guys, you know, especially with some of the guys like we've kind of talked about, um, you know, DJ, even Dimitri, some of the guys like that you've that, that going into the year were kind of the guys that we knew were our seniors, gonna really help lead this with them being banged up, we have had to evolve and find different ways. There's obviously things for us defensively that we hang our hat on that we're like, this is us, this is who we're going to be. But in a good way, as a D staff and as a defense, we've had to look at different ways, coverage wise, front structures, pressure wise. to see, just because a call has worked well for us in the past or a defense has worked well, this is a new defense. And starting this year, there's been a lot of guys that had played but not significantly as much as they are now. Um, and you look at that game two weeks ago, whatever it is, week and a half ago, um, you know, you're playing with pretty much all underclassmen. And a good amount of those guys don't really have a lot of bearing for some of the defenses we played last year. So it's, it's been exciting for us, obviously challenging going through some of the heartache we've had as a team. Hurts. And, and as a coach, it's, it's not only. Um, finding out why that happened, but how we're going to get it fixed instead of just it is what it is. Like, we're we're really intentional to find the how, and so we can go out to the practice field, rep drills that put our guys in these situations, and make sure that they are calls they can execute. And that's the biggest thing defensively is just because a call we've liked in the past or um, it should work, if, if, a, if a guy can't execute it at a high level, then it, then it doesn't fit us right now. Maybe it will down the road. Maybe it will as the season goes. Maybe it will next year. But if it's not executing at a high level, that's for us as staff to look at, okay, this just doesn't fit who we are right now.
0: You would love to play a base defense, have four rush, have everybody else drop or, or do the things that they needed to do, but this defense isn't in the, in the position to do that.
1: No, the younger you are, the less you can do. So this goes back to what we were just talking about. Because you had, we had all those older guys and experienced guys, you can have a check for everything if you want. Mm-hmm. If your defense is, you know, I guess I guess not smart enough is, is experienced enough to understand the adjustments and why we're doing That's the other thing is understanding why you're making an adjustment mm-hmm. to what's coming. It's probably because there's a high percentage that a run's coming out of this formation or out of this, you know, shift and out of this motion. So – Having young guys who don't have that experience is tough to do all that. So you probably have to stay, like you said, in base defenses. But standing in base defenses, if people know that if they shift or motion, you're gonna stay in base defense, then now I know what I'm gonna get no matter what. Mm-hmm. So it's easy for me to know your weakness yeah. because you're not adjusting. But and when you adjust, it's harder for me to know what you're gonna throw. Against. Right.
0: But on on top of that too, like uh, the, the conundrum that Boise State is in right now is they have they are really requiring these young guys to know more because they can't generate any pressure when they just bring four. It just It's few and far between that they can with that. Yeah. So now all of a sudden you are making it more complicated and you are trying to figure out, as Spencer Danielson said, is my safety my best blitzer? Is my nickel my best blitzer? Is my weak side linebacker? And they're going through all these things and trying to figure it out. And now all of a sudden like you call up a play like that you put another guy, a linebacker, covering Tory Horton in a critical point in the game, and it looks like an ob- it looks like a bad call. And I'm sure that is one that Spencer Daniels would want to have back. No. But that being said, like, are you just going to sit there and let the quarterback just have all day to make his decisions? 55 dropbacks, one sack over um, Colorado State's quarterback, last 55 dropbacks. He was sacked on the second play of the game by um, Ahmed Hassanin, who ha- is starting to come on a little bit, still figuring it out, has only been playing football for five total years of his life. Um, he's up near the lead in the Mountain West in sacks, but it's just, not, it's just not consistent enough, or there's not consistent enough pressure to just allow him to just go be that dude like a Kamali Correa or a Curtis Weaver or things like that. I, anyways hopefully they've identified it. Hopefully they can figure it out. They're going to take on one of the most disciplined defenses in the Mountain West this uh, this I mean, well for the last ever since Craig Bull arrived in Laramie for that matter. And we're going to preview the Cowboys in just a minute. DJ Schram, it it he is trending towards coming back. He's back at practice. He's not even wearing a yellow not, no contact jersey, so that that seems encouraging. Just to be cautious though of of expectations and how much he'll play. I don't think this is going to be a thing, Shane, where you're going to see D.J. out on the field for 70 snaps. If we see him on Saturday, it's going to be in kind of a limited fashion, and I would still expect Marco Notriani to be the center of that Boise State defense, and and he has done a good job, one of the leading tacklers in the Mountain West and the leading tackler on the Boise State football team. Flipping over to offense now, George Helani could also provide a boost. I would almost apply the exact same thing to George Helani if we see him. I don't expect him to be the starting twenty, the tailback that's getting twenty touches in, in any capacity right now. It's definitely going to be a thing. As well as you said before the show, the way Ashton's playing, I don't think twenty touches are there for him. Yeah. But even if they were, I think this is much more of a scenario where we see him eased back into it.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's no way you can take away, you know, all those carries from Jentay. I think they have to come from Tyler Crow mm-hmm. and they have to come from, you know, other guys. Since we had so many guys carry the ball this year, right? So uh, I think uh, if, if we can get George ten carries without taking away from Ashton, Ashton. then I, I think we should be able to run that the actually ball
0: is, here. That that seems attainable, and that might mean you know Breezy Dubar and T Crow maybe not getting. You know, you look at those these last few weeks, and it'd probably be some those guys kind of divvying up that whatever's left over. And now all of a sudden, if you get in a situation too where you probably do feel a little confident, with more confidence with George it Just He's a great running back when he's healthy. That you might get into a, a certain down and distance or a certain scenario in the game where you can say, no, nah, we can – Ashton, we're going to save you for, for this carry later on. Yeah. We can roll with George in this specific mm-hmm. situation, which it might seem like one play, but I think that actually could mean the world to Ashton as you do just try to keep him a little more fresh. Another thing that I'm excited about for on offense is I think that we might actually – it is crazy to think with the way Boise State's offensive lines played, I don't even know if we've seen the, their best lineup yet because they've been mixing and matching due to injuries all season while well, all of a sudden now coming out of the bye, we've been told they're completely healthy. And now you might have a guy, and I, I don't know for certain here, but like Roger Carrion wasn't a part of the original you know, starting five when camp kicked off. Going from left to right, it was Cage Casey, Ben Dooley, Mason Randolph, um, Garrett Curran and then Cade Beresford at right tackle. And a guy like Rogers played great, you know, because he's, he's really been thrown into a situation as a, as a redshirt sophomore where they needed him and he's done great. But now you have so you have you're finally healthy again, and a guy might like him, yeah. might, might be the odd man left out. And even talking with um Boise State's offensive line coach Tim Keen a few weeks ago about Mason Randolph, right he said that the plan was for him to be the future at center. Mm -hmm. He was hurt. Garrett was rolling at center. So when, even when Mason got healthy, they put him at at guard and they left Garrett at center. But now that they've had a, a chance to reset this thing for a week, I think there's a chance that we actually see the starting five offensive line that Boise state wanted to roll out there to start the season. And, if I'm Wyoming, that actually should be pretty. That that's actually intimidating. That should be scary because that group's played well.
1: Especially if we come out in the shotgun split back, you know, with all our backs in, uh Taylon. And Taylon. Taylon with split backs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, a little little ISO action. <laughs> Maybe he might pull it. Maybe he might pitch it.
0: There was a point in time where I thought we would see George Helani and and. Uh, ashton genti on the field quite a bit this season together and we actually saw glimpses of that at washington george gets hurt they have to put ashton in that more traditional running back role i'm interested to see how much of that bush hamden reintroduces to the offense this weekend i don't think it's going to be in the capacity that we witnessed at the university of washington because i think there's also going to be an emphasis on man ashton leads the country in touches let's try to take a few off of him keep him fresh keep george fresh coming back from an injury I think we'll see him on the field together at some point for sure but i don't think we're going to see it as it was intended prior to the season at least not this week that that's just a complete guess on my point on my part though Mm -hmm. um you did bring up the quarterbacks and talon and as andy avalos told us this week they are not giving up on the two quarterback system
2: each one of our guys can help our offense be more efficient um ultimately as we've talked about it's about Getting our whole offense in rhythm, and that, that will be um, the main focus. We started off the the last game faster. Of course, you know we, as we talked about, we got to take care of the football, and that's the biggest thing, uh, first and foremost. We got to take care of the football, and our numbers have. I mean, it's the facts since we've been doing it, the numbers have been better on offense. These are all good things. It's we'd rather you know have these players um, that deserve and are very capable of playing. And we've said it all along here that no matter what it is, whether it's on special teams or defense, you know, if you deserve a role, we'll find a role for you. and what that looks like we've got to do a good job with, and especially with it when it comes down to the quarterbacks and being able to create the rhythm. We've certainly improved, again, our efficiency in certain uh, passing down situations. Um, since we've been using the two quarterbacks, um, now we have to have a better consistency and find our balance
0: within that. The moment Andy said that, I sent out a tweet, <laughs> and it's one of those ones you send out where you're trying to tweet more and all you're doing is getting notifications about responses. The fans hate it. The fans hate it. The coaches believe that it's the path forward. Where does Shane Williams Road stand on this thing?
1: Not a big, I'm not a big two-quarterback system guy. I just feel like you are splitting... You're splitting the time that you could be putting into your starter by doing it this way. It's tough. It's really tough when you had a freshman of the year last year, mm-hmm. and now he is splitting time.
0: The, I, it's like tough. I said. I I hate I hate the whole critical thing. I don't like being critical, and I don't I don't even know who I'm being critical of here. But at this point in time, last year. There were little doubts about Taylor Green being the starter at Boise State for however long he wanted to be the starter at Boise State. They limited him in the passing game early, especially against San Diego State. I think he only threw 10 times, maybe even 8, 10, 10 or 8 times. And that was his first start. And they ran him and they come back and blow out San Diego State despite... You know, that was one of the low points prior to the halftime at against San Jose State this last year. At San Diego State on the blue last year was a, was a low point because they were getting shut out. They couldn't move the ball. And then all of a sudden, they they figured things out. They actually started that game kind of using a little bit of a two-quarterback system where Talon wasn't passing. And then they said, forget it. We're leaving Talon in. And we're going to use a, our, our ground game and ride this thing out. Um, yeah. Because that was Sam Vidlak that, that played a little bit in that game last year. Uh, but from this point in time last year to this point in time this year, man, it, there is a a different understanding or a, a different, you know, painting of the picture of, of what Talon Green is and can yeah. do.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you just think about it, his pass attempts have basically got cut in half. Well, not cut in half. We'll say a third because yeah. it typically seems like we see about 16 passes mm-hmm. one way and eight the other. So, yeah, so you're taking away a two-thirds of his – you know, right. attempts. And so those are just reps. To 24
0: total in. attempts. Talon's getting eight of them. Yeah. So doing the math, that's a third.
1: If he's missing all of those, you know, reps where he could learn and, you know, at game speed in and, and the game, then that's just, once again, the development side of it. Mm-hmm. It's just slow. It's going to happen slower.
0: I know? don't think that, I don't think Taylor gets off free here because I think that you can watch the game and, and see like intentional or not. Footwork, decision making at times, uh, pre-snap reads—these are things that he has he has struggled at at times this year. But they found a way to put him in a position to figure all that out last year, right? Um, if if you were, I'm just going to ask you. I know that, I know that you even know him a little bit. If you were tailing Green, what what would your approach be right now? Are you pissed off that you're that snaps are getting taken away so you live in the football facility, or are you? Uh, does does your ego take a bit of a, a hit and you're, you're worried about your confidence?
1: Well, since I play receiver, you know, we might be the most sensitive position on the field. <laughs> uh, I'm definitely going to say I'm pissed off. You know, yeah. that's it's tough to go from, you know, at that eight-game stretch last year to what he was able to put together to this year to where basically he's not even on the field mm-hmm. but half of the snaps. And right. Sometimes it's less than half the snaps.
0: Last two games, it's been less than half the snaps. The focal point has, has been on the sideline. I don't
1: sideline. see, you know, I don't know a competitor as far as athletes go that, you know, is not pissed off about that.
0: That's why I don't know who the the flip the table guy is at this point, but maybe they uh, maybe they need one. This is the stat I, was, I just wanted to look up for you because I wanted to show you the unique position that Taylor Green put himself in last year. I looked this stat up at the end of last season. So, Taylor Green finished the the 2022 season with 14 touchdown passes and 10 rushing touchdowns. The last FBS freshman QBs to do that. Um, at least 10 passing and at least 10 rushing.
1: How many guys is it?
0: it is, since 2015, it's, there's two of them.
1: Okay. So, Johnny Manziel wouldn't be in
0: there. Johnny Manziel's not he's in not, Yep, Yep. He's, he's gone already. Uh, but they are both starting NFL quarterbacks. Ooh. Jalen Hurts did it in two thousand sixteen. Lamar Jackson did it in two thousand fifteen. Talking about Taylor Green in the same breath we were that, that we're talking about Jalen Hurts and Lamar Jackson. And no disrespect here, but now we're talking about him in the in the same breath as a quarterback controversy in Maddox Madsen entering this and being the wild card that, you know, has has done well enough where Talon has been deficient that we're gonna go with the two quarterback system. So, again, in, in the span of a year, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, two-quarterback system, off the field, you know, on the sideline, a greater percentage than he's, than he's on the field, at least since they started rotating quarterback these last two games.
1: Yeah, it's
0: – That hurts. That, you know, Jalen Hurts, that hurts.
1: I got to ask you, what would you do, you know, if you are in Boise State shoes and you are obviously yeah. in this position as far as the growth of the quarterbacks? In,
0: I would go with one. And if I had to use two, it would be – I would go back and I would look at what they did with Brett Rippon and Montel Cozart where it was like – Montel was unique, by the way. I don't don't know if people understand, like, how about winning he was. He was at Kansas, and that's when Kansas flat out sucked. And he was tired of losing, and despite the fact he could play there, he just wanted to win a conference championship. And, I mean, there were stories where – you know, Brian Hartson was like, "Are you sure you want to come here?" Because we we got our guy in Brett Rippon, and he was like, "I just want to win games." And so I was like, "All right, we'll figure out a way to kind of, you know kind of sprinkle you in or use you." I, I don't even know if playing time was promised to him, you know, but he was on the field when Brett was outside of when Brett was hurt um, that Washington State game in the in the New Mexico game. You know, Montel just kind of was was a piece that they would use. So if you're going to go two quarterbacks. I would really try to work towards something like that because you know I asked here, I asked Bush Hamden this week about how he would like to see this split played out and he actually gave us percentages.
3: Is there a perfect distribution in our minds? I would say Talon would certainly be out there sixty to sixty five percent of the time, you know, and and uh, the nature of it. as as I know you guys understand, is we also have to make sure we're not having issues of who's in the game, who's not in the game, taking delay of of penalties, right? And so part of that uh, for us is certain situations, Talon's been in the game. And when down and distances are different, when field positions are different, that's when we've kind of got to Maddox. So in a lot of ways, uh, the distribution, you know, has a lot to do with what situations we're in the game. Uh, When we're in a two-minute situation, for example, Maddox has been in there, you know, and then that looks at, Okay, you have a long drive. That's 12 more plays. Is that really what we set out for? Maybe not, but based off of those situations, that has a lot to do with who's out there more.
0: With Brett, like in Montel, it was almost like a 90-10 split. Yeah. In some ta- some cases, I don't even know Montell Montel would get the 10. Bush is saying he wants to achieve somewhere 60-40, 65-35. It's just, it's just too much. We're, we're venturing way too far to just the coin flip at this point of who yeah. actually gets to play more. And I just... Man, I I will I I know that Bush Hamden and all these guys I've been very complimentary of Bush Hamden with some of the stuff that he's drawn up this year because I I do think that he I really like I think he's got an extremely bright future and I know that they know way more about football than I do and so we're just gonna have to roll roll with them on this one but I just I just don't I just don't love it like I just I don't love the two quarterback system. Uh, Bush Hamden also said this week that you know the in season is not the the training get grounds for improvement necessary or development like Uh once you get to this point in the season like you have to prepare to win freaking football games and so if whatever you're doing in the middle of the summer working on your footwork you can't bring with you to the game right now that's just something that i don't know if we have enough time in the day to make sure that we can spend even additional time on that i do think that there's some of this that's on on talon in terms of you know accountability and the way that he needs to develop and go to the next level i mean Talked with Brian Hartson last week, and he said that Kellen Moore was unique. So I'm not expecting this level of dedication from really any football player that has ever played or will play this game again. But he was telling us a story about how um, Kellen would go into the film room on Monday for five hours, and he would sit in there by himself and nobody else in there, and he would just sit in there by himself and watch film for five hours. And that's how he figured out how he wanted to attack a defense on Saturday. And he spent the rest of the week honing that and getting on the same page with his offensive coordinator about what they wanted to do. And sure, sometimes it would you know, the offensive coordinator, Harson would go back and be like, "And I don't know about that. But it was it just amazing, like the level of dedication and detail. And you can see why he was so successful on game day. It didn't, it's not, we all know he didn't have the strongest arm. Um, But he always knew where to go with the football. And it's because of, you know, the five hours of film on Monday and the countless hours that he would continue to spend in the rest of the week in that film room, knowing exactly how he wanted to attack a defense on Saturday.
1: Yeah, he's the FBI. We talk about it all the time. I mean, uh, more than anything,
0: that's what. Even more than more so than footwork, man. Just like somebody on the attack, like I'm coming for you, and you got to find a way to stop me. I don't want it, it hit me today driving to work, but I just had that picture of Taylon Green against Utah State last year, where the game was getting a little tight. Taylon threw, you know, he was stretching the field early on. I think he had four touchdown passes or or something in that game. But the game Utah State came back, and it was getting a little tight, and then all of a sudden, uh, Taylon. Took over, we all seen the gif of him after that, that ninety yard touchdown run where he was like, I'm better than everyone on the field, and I'm gonna prove it to you on this play and I'm gonna ice this game away. Like I just wanna see that. Like go like that that killer instinct, man, just go take it. Like you're you're an unbelievable athlete. You're learning, you're growing. Be very, very intentional in some of those things that you know you have to get better in. But outside of that, just just
1: go be that killer, man. It's just tough. That killer mentality is really tough. Like you said, the 35-65 deal. If you break a ninety-yard touchdown, and then the next drive, you know you're not going to be on the field, right? That is just. But that's, here's that's a, even even really more tough.
0: even more so than that. What stuck out stuck out with me, or what, what stood out to me about that is, what if Taylor wasn't on the field for that that play? Nobody else is running ninety yards on that play, right? Nope. So what? I'm just saying, on that given play, what if it's like, oh, we hit our court, two quarterback rotation there and. So that play that the the opportunity of that even happening is now out the window. Yeah. That 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 is that would be my bigger concern is some of the God given stuff that we talk about with him is also the the unplanned, unpredictable, just go be better than everybody on this play.
1: Yep, because you make the right call, but you have yeah. the wrong, wrong personnel then. Right. And and that that that's just that's my one thing. Still uncontrolled variables. Uncontrolled <laughs> variables.
0: I, I, I in slight defense of the coaches, you've seen Maddox go in a ton on you know, kind of the, the down and distances. So if Talon's not successful, then he basically gets to – or the offense isn't, isn't successful when Talon's on the field and they get behind the chains on second or third down, then that's where they're going to go mm-hmm. to Maddox Madsen. And, and we've, we've seen that. And I will say is the coaches really try to, you know, weed through this and, and figure out who to use, when to use them. Um, Talon hasn't been great on third and long this season. And it, 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 just the down in general – it hasn't. It hasn't been too kind to to Taylen. And as it stands right now, on third down, Maddox Matson is the number one rated passing quarterback in the Mountain West Conference at 173.8. Taylen Green, 12th out of 13 qualified QBs. Excuse me, 11th out of 13 qualified QBs at 96.12. So third down has not, when in passing situations, has not been kind tailing green or tailing green hasn't been kind to the situation either way you want to say that so there is some very deliberate stuff that i do see why the coaches are trying this and trying to find these answers but i would just i would love to see the intent put into one guy and say you're our guy you are our future this is what we need to lean on because as as, as much as you want to say it and paint the picture that other teams do it no team ever enters the season being like yeah Let's go with two quarterbacks. And they Maybe hit. the only time is when Chris Leek was was at Florida with with Tim Tebow, but it was like Tim Tebow came in to be the freaking hammer. That again a 90-10 type of that's thing though. That's
1: definitely
0: 90-10. Right? So that, it's that's the nobody ever goes in and be like
1: let's just split it 50-50. That actually was 95-5 cuz it was only on fourth and one and fourth and goal. Yep. You know, Tebow go in, you know what you got to do. Mhm. All right. Back out.
0: Well, we have obviously had a lot to talk about during the bye week. Um, Next up for Boise State, as they return from the bye, the Wyoming Cowboys come to town. We all know that Craig Bull has done a phenomenal job in Laramie. They will be one of the most disciplined and toughest teams in the Mountain West Conference because that's exactly what they have been year after year. Can Boise State answer that call can they be as if not more disciplined as if not more tough than this cowboys team that is exceeding expectations right now shane
1: oh yeah i just want to throw this out there uh craig bowl is actually like my favorite Mount west coach outside really of, outside of obviously Andy Avalos. Yeah. why is that you know you just look at a story he came from the fcs you know win some national mm-hmm. championships go to fbs Take over a team like Wyoming who was terrible.
0: Right, and he uh, he was coming off coming out of North Dakota State, won a number of national titles. I think everybody's like, what power five program is Craig Bull gonna go yeah. to? And then he goes to Wyoming, everybody's like,
1: Wait, what? I was actually but, like, Why would he go to Wyoming from there too? It, yeah, but man, it,
0: it it's hard to compliment Laramie Wyoming, but it just it just fits him. Everything about that program just kind of fits him, like being tough, playing in cold weather. Uh, the color scheme, which is just completely unattractive, it's, it's got to be an environment
1: thing for him. Yeah, you go from you know North Dakota to Wyoming. <laughs> it's got to be.
0: I just like I, I just like being tucked away where nobody can find us and nobody wants to travel to, oh, and off it's extremely the cold. Soft grid. Yes, but this is. I mean, so now you look at Wyoming stats, and in a way, that it's a, it's almost like it's everything you would want to be. Um, nothing they do blows you away. They give up quite a few rushing yards per game. Mm-hmm. You look at their passing stats, and it's not like they're they're all-world or anything like that. Even their running back, super-efficient guy, but he's nowhere near the lead of, of, in terms of rushing yards in the conference. But you know what they do? Find ways to win. They find ways to win, and I think that they – they squeeze all the juice from the fruit, if you will, not only when it comes to individual player talent, but when it comes to the team game. Because nobody I, – I certainly did not expect them to be 5-2 and two right now. I did not expect them to go into the fourth quarter tied at 10 on the road at Texas. They ended up getting, you know, 31-10, getting a little bit blown out in that game. But for a long time, man, Steve Sarkeesian was probably sweating that game. And yeah. they just – again, they just seemed to squeeze all the juice from the fruit.
1: Same thing with all of their games. They found a way to come back and do the Texas Tech. That game was crazy. Mm-hmm. Like they're a team that finds ways to win. And obviously, where we are in our state right now, we are not finding ways to. Win. <laughs> so not finding ways. We are to win. finding ways to lose. Yeah, unfortunately. So it's going to which be is fair. Thing. Is
0: after Colorado State. I'm sorry. That's completely fair to say. Yeah, finding ways to lose. That's completely fair to say. You blow 19 yeah. or 17 point lead at Memphis. It's fair to say.
1: Twice. Twice. Points. Yeah. yeah. Twice. So, I think uh, this is probably not the most ideal coach that I want to go against coming out of the bye week, mm-hmm. where we are right now.
0: Wyoming's coming out of the bye week, too, people.
1: That's what makes it even scarier, because mm-hmm. they're probably getting guys back, too.
0: Mm-hmm. So, how do you feel about this? I, I don't I, – I've heard the lines fluctuated. I saw that the game opened at four and a half. Somebody else told me that it opened at six. Either way, it's, it's, it's hovering around that five, four-point margin we, of victory right we- now. That, that is a legit question. Yes, Boise State is favored. Uh, legit question r- right now. You would feel because Wyoming's playing really well. Boise State's not playing so well. Um, how do you feel going into this game?
1: You know, I'm 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 not at ease right now. <laughs> I'm not as comfortable as I was last last game. You know, uh, being up 31-10, expecting to be up 31-10, but uh, you know. I told you last show that I think we're just going to – we've seen how good we can be and how bad we can be. Mm-hmm. And I think that we are going to go on a run. I said it already. We're going to go on a run. Mm-hmm. And everyone says we got to win all the rest of these games to host. I think we – I know we can beat Wyoming, and I know we can beat Fresno. Mm-hmm. It just depends on what team shows up. But I think I think we pulled this one out. You're not giving me a score. Can I, get, can I get the over-under?
0: I'll get you the over-under. I, I think it's going to be a little bit more of a low-scoring game. I think that the leg of Jonah Dalmas could could factor in. 23-21 is screaming at me right now. And 23-21? I know, and I know that's not necessarily going to help the cover there, but I think that if you're Boise State, a win's a win because that's all you need right now.
1: Well, I believe the old Broncos have been scoring, you know, 30-plus every game for quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Right now, so I'm gonna go 31.
0: Ooh, okay. So you're expecting a little. Okay,
1: all right. And then I'm gonna go 35.
0: Oh, so a higher scoring game between these two. Yeah. Wow, they would blow out the over under. The over under on this one, Shane, 49.
1: So that's a 21 28. Let me get 31
0: 31 27. 31 27 Boise my final State. Answer. All right. Well, we'll see if the Broncos can somehow right the ship during the bye, pull this thing out. DJ Schramm, George Helani, we've been told, are, are back at practice. We'll see about their availability this weekend against Wyoming, and we'll see if Boise State can get hot. They need to win at least three of their final five games to attain bowl eligibility because they sit at three and four right now. We talked last week about the uphill battle. Air Force, Fresno State, obviously Wyoming looms this week. A tough schedule is ahead for Boise State, but this is a chance for them to define their season, and, make everything look like all is fine and dandy over there inside the Gene Meyer football complex. It would be if Boise State can, can win out or even 4-1 from here on out, in my opinion. It gives them a lot of confidence.
1: 1-0. That's 1-0. That's it.
0: 1-0. I certainly felt like we went 1-0 today, Shane. I appreciate you as always, my man. No problem. All right, this is Jay Sports Bar. Again, you can listen on Apple Podcasts as well as watching on YouTube. Anyways, we appreciate you listening today. Again, this is Jay Sports Bar serving the Idaho sports community.